here in person in the auditorium or whether you're in person downstairs in the fellowship hall with us or you're virtually joining us online. We are excited because today is our uh, inaugural Focus Sunday. Uh, a couple years ago, we, we planned out this particular uh, event. We wanted to start having one Sunday a year where we dedicated all of our services to the study of a particular subject. And the idea was to take what we had done for family workshops or marriage seminars and, and have something every year that had a devoted emphasis and maybe make it where it could be broader subjects than just marriage and family. And so we decided to initiate Focus Sunday, a Sunday dedicated to the study of a particular area of focus. It was supposed to happen in 2020, but due to the pandemic, we had to postpone it to this year. And that might be somewhat fortuitous because the subject matter we'll be addressing today uh, really came to light for a great many people during the pandemic. Because our study today is called Focus on Your Mind. And throughout the day, our guest speaker is going to address subjects such as depression, anxiety, and addiction. Our guest speaker today is one of my good friends, Mark Butts. Mark is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He works with Hurley Counseling down on the Gulf Coast in the Mobile and Baldwin County area. Uh, but Mark, before being a full-time counselor, Mark was a minister, a youth minister in particular for, let's see here, 2002 to 2019, right? Something like that. He worked with the Enterprise Congregation. He worked with the Spanish Fork Congregation in Alabama, the Enterprise Congregation in Alabama as well, and then finally with the Timberlane Church of Christ in Tallahassee. And throughout those years, Mark and I had the opportunity to work very closely together. Most of his career was spent in youth ministry, but his last three years, I believe, he was a college minister in, in Tallahassee, you know, with FSU. So have some grace on him. He's also, just so you know, don't hold this against him. He's an Auburn fan. <laughs> ben, Ben, please. Mark is a dear friend of mine. We've been able to work together for many years, and I'm excited that he'll be here to talk to us today about focusing on our minds, and uh, I'll reintroduce him again at our time of worship, but for now, uh, he is joined today by his wife, Jennifer, and their three children, and we're grateful that his whole family was able to come with him as well. Uh, let me turn it over to Mark, and let's begin our study. Me. All right, we good and on? All right. Well, hey, good morning. It is a privilege for me to stand before you this morning, and I, I want to say, uh, first of all, before you leave, Kyle, I appreciate you. He gone. Um, but hopefully I called him. Oh, thank you. Well, I appreciate that a lot. Um, let me get that pulled up. Yeah, we had a little bit of technical difficulties. Um, I think the technical part of it was that <laughs> I technically did not send the lesson to Kyle. Um, <clears throat> and so we were trying to get it emailed in uh, right as we were uh, getting started and that sort of thing. So um, I appreciate the team back there in the sound booth <laughs> doing a good job of rushing that on the screen and getting everything going. Um, <clears throat> But then I also want to say that I appreciate the Buford congregation um, taking on this vision. Um, 
it's something that I think is pretty neat and um, hopefully is very, very beneficial. Uh, as Kyle uh, mentioned, he and I have known each other a long, long time. Um, and uh, we were both very young youth ministers together over there on the Gulf Coast and or down there on the Gulf Coast and that sort of thing. And, you know, a lot of times, and I better be careful because he's got probably a ton of stupid stories on me, but, um, but, you know, a lot of times as youth ministers, you got these illustrations that are fantastic in your mind, <clears throat> but then when they get executed, they are something along the way should have said, hey, don't do that. And uh, there was one time when uh, I was directing a week of camp and uh, Kyle was on staff and he had this awesome idea talking about how God takes away our sins and, and that sort of thing. So he, it was one of those summers where there was just a drought and everything, it was just a tender bundle. And uh, he, we had this cross on the uh, shore of the lake at camp and he took his class over there and he had them write down some sins that maybe they were struggling with and that sort of thing. They, they put it on the cross and he, uh, you know, he allowed them to kind of burn the little pieces of paper and just watch it disintegrate and that sort of thing. And the illustration was, you know, that's what God does to your sin. Fantastic, until about an hour later when we were standing in chapel and I was like, are we having a barbecue for lunch? Oh my goodness, the lake's <laughs> There's a fire around the lake. So my dad and my brother and I had water bottles in our hands. So we jumped on the golf cart, ran over there, and fought a forest fire with three Dasani water bottles. <laughs> but none of us ever forgot that illustration. That's what you were hoping for, right? So I appreciate that. Um, I also want to tell you a story about why, uh, why I'm here today, and this is a, this is a very uh, personal story. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was serving in Spanish Fort, um, and actually uh, one, of, one of my summer interns and his now beautiful wife that he met, well he was interning but we won't talk about that, um, uh, they're here with me this morning and uh, I appreciate that. Um, but we were, uh, we were doing our thing, and I had been wanting to look into going back to school and becoming a counselor. And, you know, things along the way just kind of delayed that and delayed that and delayed that. And, and then finally one night um, after class, two uh, two girls came up and they said, hey, we need to talk to you. I said, sure, what's, what's going on? And they said, well, we need to talk behind closed doors. And one of them um, had kind of confided in the other one that, and I won't tell you how, but she had a method and she had um, the drive she had a timeline. She had everything that you look for checklist-wise to know when to take suicidal ideality very, very seriously. And I thank my instructors at Fulton University for giving me just enough training to know, okay, I don't need to mess around with this. And we intervened. 
and it was to go down that night. Um, and so we intervened. And in the following days, the family turned to me and asked for some counseling. And, you know, I looked at them and I said, I, this is a little bit beyond my scope to do what you guys need. Ethically, I can spiritually walk with you through this valley and that sort of thing, but I can't give you what you're asking for right now. And I made a vow that after that moment, after that incident, that that would be the last time that I would go without the training to properly intervene when mental health needs arise. And so that fall, I enrolled uh, to become a counselor. And so I, I took extra classes to be an LPC, to be an LMFT, to, to get all the L's that I can get behind my name because I want to be able to help Christians in particular when mental health needs arise. And we're going to talk about uh, maybe something surprising here in just a minute, but we're going to talk about how to spot that because it might not look like what we all think it looks like, okay? Um, as I got ready for my clinical work and I was doing my supervision and that sort of thing, Kyle called me one day and said, hey, have you ever thought about doing work with churches with what you're doing with counseling. I was like, actually, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. And so at the congregation that he was serving in Pensacola and two other congregations down there, my first bit of work in, in the area of counseling was with contracts with Christians. And one thing that came to light for me is that sitting in the pews of our congregations are a lot of people that struggle with the title on the screen. But a lot of people are really, really, really worried about talking about that. A lot of people may be embarrassed to talk about that. And in those three churches that I contracted with there in Pensacola, when they found out that they had free counseling offered, paid by their churches, people just started calling, 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 calling. And I was working eight to 10 hour days trying to work everybody onto my schedule that wanted to be able to see me. And I would make that 200 mile drive one, one day a week and serve those three churches. Chances are, here this morning, sitting in our midst and online watching, there's probably many folks that may be struggling with what is the title of our lesson this morning. And this is not one of those titles that's warm, and, and this is not one of those titles, excuse me, this is not one of those titles that you, you get fired up about. I mean, the first word is depression. So automatically there is, a, there is a mood in the room that sinks just a little bit. But this is one of those titles and one of those lessons that I believe is an absolute necessity for us as Christians to begin to wrap our minds around a little bit more. 
So I want to ask you a couple of things and reassure you of a couple of things. <clears throat> First of all, today, as we talk about depression and as we talk about anxiety and the lesson and as we talk about addiction tonight, I want to reassure you of one thing. I come from a point of view in mental health and, as Kyle said, as a former minister and as a person that stands before you extremely concerned about Christians and their mental health, I do not see a differentiation between mental health and Christianity. I do not think that they are mutually exclusive. I do not think that they are oil and water. I do not think that one is new age and one is true. I think that you can have a both and scenario. And I think that we as Christians need to open up to that probably a little bit more than we traditionally have in the past. And that's my personal belief, and we can have a conversation about that later if you would like, and that's fine. But I come to you this morning, and I'm going to teach these lessons based on biblical truths about mental health. But I'm also going to teach you some, hopefully share with you, some very usable, practical ways that you as individuals can go out in your life, monitor yourself, and reach out to other people, as the icon on the screen behind me shows. And so I want to ask a question that is the number one common myth this morning, since we're talking about faith, and since we're talking about mental health, I want to ask this question. Is depression a lack of faith? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I want you to answer that in your head. Is depression a lack of faith? I hurt anytime I hear any branch of Christianity insinuate or overtly say that depression is a lack of faith. And there's several reasons for that. And I'm going to ask for your interaction here in just a little bit if I can remember to do so. But if you look at a majority of the prophets and the leaders that God calls to work for him in Scripture, the majority of them check off DSM-5 traits of depression at some point or another because they are serving God. So I would hesitate to call people that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as some of the giants of faith that they were lacking because of what they were experiencing. And if you look at what a lot of them went through and, and how God handled them, God gives us a perfect example of how to handle them with soft, tender hands and loving hearts and loving words with tons and tons of patience. So let's address this. Now you may be able to find some verses that I did not find, but in that black void there, you will find a comprehensive list of verses in Scripture that condemn depression. Now, if we're going to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent, if God doesn't call faith or doesn't call depression a lack of faith, why should we? The closest you'll get to this is in Psalm 42:11, where it says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That is the closest you will get 
to condemnation. And that was the author self-analyzing and saying, come on, we've been here too long. This is too strong, and God is too good. Let's refocus, let's do something about this, and let's not stay in this valley where we are right now. That is not a condemnation of God towards depression. Okay? Now, I think it's this screen here that might get very interesting. Sorry for you people that were not expecting this that might see your face up on the screen right now. But I want to ask you a question. Can you point to the people on the screen that struggle with depression? We're going to sit here for just a second. That's um, three people on the screen that y'all know. There are four people on the screen that y'all don't know. So it's a little bit of a, a gamble to start guessing, but I'm going to tell you a statistical truth. If things are, are here at Buford the way statistics say they are for church leadership all over the place, of those three men on the screen, at least one struggled or struggles with depression. And that's one of your elders and two of your ministers. Okay? I'm not going to stand here and tell those men that they have a lack of faith. I'm going to stand here and tell those men that, hey, if you've slipped into a depressive episode, there's hope and there's things that we can do. There's better days before you. Let's talk about it. The other four people on that screen actually come from a website called boardpanda.com, and it is a website dedicated to getting out and destigmatizing mental health issues. Uh, some of those are no longer with us. Some of those wrote a testimony on there about how they uh, worked through their depression. So we don't actually really know on the screen who is and who is not dealing with depression. But statistically speaking, the majority of the people on the screen are, although you might not be able to tell it from this picture on the screen. And I want to stop and I want to talk about that for just a second. And I vowed to myself that I would not chew up a lot of time jumping on this soapbox uh, and talk about real stuff and educating y'all. But I do want to speak to this for just a moment. There is a version of Christianity that I find, and, and this includes me, so I'm not sitting here with a finger pointing out, I find in American Christianity. And again, I don't mean to offend, but let's talk real because we're here to talk real. In American Christianity, we expect to be able to come here and look like decently well-off people that decently uh, handle our issues in life, that decently raise our children, that decently do the things that we do, and we walk in and we say, good morning, brother, good morning, sister, how are you? I'm fine, doing well. How are you, brother? How are you, sister? I'm fine. It is so good to see you this morning. Well, it is good to see you this morning. And we get maybe like 
that much of the surface of the things that's actually going on. And all the time, we pass each other with smiles on our faces and we try to convince each other that we are who we want to be. And sometimes it is true and sometimes it's not true. But we struggle, I believe, to want to and actually get to under the surface issues where we're actually helping each other through times of need. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. And those reasons are valid. Some of those reasons are based out of fear. Uh, some of those reasons are based out of Satan whispering in our ears that Christian brothers and sisters are not trustworthy and that sort of thing. Some of those fears are based out of past experiences where Christian brothers and sisters may have let us down. But I want to ask you this morning, Buford Church of Christ, that can you begin to engage as we talk this morning about something that is extremely serious, can we begin to engage individually? We don't need a program. We don't need a deacon over mental health engagement. We need Christians that look each other in the eye and say, can I pray for you? Is there something that we can talk about? And I know for a fact that there's a lot of people, and if statistics are correct, you have a lot of people in this congregation that do this. They can read people, and they will not let you get away if you don't give a satisfactory answer. And God bless those people because they minister in extremely personal ways. But let's grow those people. Let's help other people reach out interpersonally because looking at the faces this morning... Out in the audience, if you were standing here, you probably would not be able to tell who is and who is not struggling with depression. But statistically speaking, one out of every three of y'all are. Statistically speaking. So let's talk about what to look for since you can't exactly see it in faces. Sometimes you can see it in faces. That's kind of part of the training that you receive when you go through school, is you start recognizing some of the nonverbals and that sort of thing. But here's something that everybody in the realm of John Q. Public can look at, okay? Look for changes behaviorally. And that's energy levels, that's ability, ability to concentrate. Uh, you're not necessarily going to be seeing sleep changes in people that come to church with you, but their spouses or their family might. Appetite changes. If substance abuse begins to be something that is a concern, um, things like body aches and that sort of thing uh, are slow, lethargic, or the opposite, kind of hyper-agitated movements. If you see those things, and that's different from the norm, that may be one of those times where you can say, something's a bit different about you. Is everything okay? Is there anything I can do? Can we pray? Those are non-invasive questions. Those are loving questions. And so if the question is, what can we do about what we see, begin to ask those questions for each other. Emotionally, if you begin to see improper fluctuation uh, towards stimuli or uh, improper expression of emotion, being irritable, um, loss of interest, feeling empty, fixated on failures, uh, or having a dark picture of the future, and that sort of thing, like negative talk a lot. Listen for those things. 
That's something that you can easily pick up on if you're in tune with the people around you. That's something that you can then ask instead of the, hi, brother, how are you? Hi, sister, how are you? Excellent. And go along. If you're beginning to notice those things in your friends and family and, and brothers and sisters here at Buford, you can begin to minister to people in a deeper, deeper way. You can begin to go beyond the surface level questions. Here's why you want to ask a few more questions. Hopefully that shows up on screen. It didn't fit. All right, it, should, it fits on mine. Here's why you ask questions. DSM-5 criteria for depression is five or more of these symptoms in, within the same two weeks equals a depressive episode. So a depressed mood most of the day, diminished interest in, uh, uh, interest in pleasure and activities, weight loss or gain of 5%, insomnia or hypersomnia, psychomotor agitation or psychomotor retardation, fatigue, poor concentration, recurrent thoughts of death. Any combination of, uh, of those uh, with the dashes beside them equals a depressive episode. Um, and then they need to be strong enough to be clinically significant distress for job-related stuff, social-related stuff, that sort of thing where it hinders you from being able to do things the way you want to be able to do them with the heart that you want to be able to do them with. And it doesn't need to be related to substance abuse. Substance abuse can account for many of those things. Okay. So if you're seeing those things, you may be dealing with a person that is um, dealing with a major depressive episode. So when and how to help. If you notice some of these signs in your team or anybody else, observe, uh, make a mental note of how long it's been since you've noticed this. If it goes beyond half a month, it may be time to visit the idea of discussing things with a professional. A pediatrician or a family doctor can uh, be a great place to start. Or call Kyle, call staff. They probably have people that they can refer to I know that Georgia actually just signed a law where they have opened up their boundaries so that if you're licensed in any of their neighboring states, you can actually seek mental health outside of the state and insurances in Georgia will pay for it. Kyle might be able to call me and be like, hey, we've got somebody here. Would you tell, do teletherapy with them? And if I've got the time, I would be more than happy to. So how do you help? There's some very practical things. And, and these are all just basic interpersonal things. Listen closely. And here's one of the number one things. Don't avoid when it's difficult. If we begin to avoid because things kind of look weird, that sends a nonverbal signal of, eh, eh, I really, I don't want to mess with you. you. You've got basically the internal version of leprosy. And, and you know, you, you kind of begin to feel like an outcast, almost like, yeah, I'm depressed, I'm unclean. Like you have to walk around with a scarlet letter on you because you're dealing with some depression. So don't avoid. Send the nonverbal message and the verbal message. I love you too much to avoid you right now. This might not be a fun conversation, but life isn't necessarily about being fun. Being a Christian is about ministering to one another and making it to heaven together. Families adjust and increase your family time together. 
when you notice other people that are hurting, care for yourself. It's easy to get caught up in the vortex of other people's uh, mental health issues. Speak of hope. Don't shame them and tell them that they should have hope. We'll get to that in the sermon. Don't tell them what they should and should not be doing. You speak of hope yourself. Point out things that you may be hopeful for. Point out things that are beautiful. Point out things that might be a little bit more positive than what they're currently fixated on. Get outside. We all know about vitamin D, but there is also an incredible psychological study about if you look up at the expansive sky, the way it frees the mind that feels trapped. And there's a lot of entrapment involved when it comes to depression. And then finally, and we're going to speak about this, um, we're going to speak about this a good deal, but manage screen time. Okay? By nature, data always comes after uh, real life because data is the result of study of real life. The data are coming in that talks about the correlation between screen time and mental health. So then now they've started doing these apps where they're like, ooh, you've been on the phone too much because there's ethical conversations in the higher up ivory towers of all these tech companies about what they are actually doing to the mental health of Americans. And so now they're offering so that they can remain ethically sound these apps that help you manage screen time. It's something that we've always seen, but we've lacked the data to prove. Now we have it, and it's before us. Screen time can do incredible, incredibly negative things to our minds. So let's throw some stats out there. And um, this was pulled off a website from, uh, in regard to adolescence and um, depression and anxiety, so I'm glad our teenagers are in here this morning. But one-third of all teenagers will meet diagnostic criteria for mood disorders, mood disorders being anxiety, depression, dysthymia, uh, that sort of thing, <clears throat> by age 18. Depression and anxiety appear in adolescent females two times as much as adolescent males, and I'm about to cough, excuse me. <coughs> Tried not to do that into the mic. So let me ask the question, let's do a logical analysis of this. We know that brain chemistry is involved, and that's class time, right? Brain chemistry is involved in mood disorders. <clears throat> you get brain chemistry by genetics or experiential patterns. So let's talk about this. If genetics, if it is genetics, mood disorders have been prevalent throughout mankind's history, which is true. So why is it that now there's an epidemic of mental health disorders going on? that would lead you to the other cause, which is experiential patterns. Thought processes, interpretations of event, lack of positively stimulating events, lack of outside activity, all have an effect on brain chemistry. It isn't just brain chemistry alone, it's how you think about how you feel about the experiences that you have. There's a whole branch of that called cognitive behavior therapy, how you think about how you feel about your experience. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit more later. We also know that there's a lot of attachment issues that go on with anxiety and depression. Uh, <clears throat> attachment is something I could talk about forever. I did, one, uh, I did in grad school a class, uh, and it was one of those finals where 
There were three questions. On one question, I wrote about 10 pages to answer one question on attachment. Attachment is one of the most basic things that we do. We come out of the womb, we breathe, we eat, we drink, we eliminate that from the body, and we attach. Into your adolescence, it is necessary for uh, attachment to be reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed. And the things that take away from attachment is families that are together but that are not together. <clears throat> and so I think my final slide is this. I read an article a few years ago that warned of the most interconnected but disconnected generation of humankind being raised. Our kids are always together, that sort of thing, but if you watch, <clears throat> we can sit there three, three feet apart from each other, shoot a text, remain flat affect, look away, <clears throat> person that we text or just Snapchat or whatever gets the text, doesn't give you the human reply, gives you the emoji reply or the whatever reply, sends, you know, sends a GIF, that sort of thing. You may call it GIF, I don't care, GIF, GIF, whatever. Um, and, you know, and so we are, we are interconnected spatially, but we are disconnected personally. So we know that self-concept builds from meaningful skills. Young people sometimes need, to, uh, need help seeing how what they do can interpret in life, how they're helpful. But then grown-ups, you need to be reminded too. You know what, that little pat on the back you shared with me, that word you shared with me, that prayer that you offered me, that note that you sent me, that homemade bread that you sent me, that sort of thing. It is incredible the timing of what you did. And I don't know what led you to do that, but you doing that helped me through that day. So share with each other so that we connect. With connection, we build up attachment. With attachment, we have healthier coping mechanisms for depression. And when we have healthier coping mechanisms through depression, when we face depressive days, we're able to think and feel our way through them better. I believe we're done. So I will talk with y'all in just a few minutes. I was planning on asking some questions and that sort of thing, but sometimes I talk too much. Hopefully uh, that was something that you guys enjoyed, and we'll see you in a few.